0: Like you're paying a lot of extra money for insurance and you don't wanna make a $2,000 claim. Like go, you know, raise that up to a $10,000 deductible. And, you know, really reduce your cost for insurance and just make sure that you've got extra capital set aside to deal with that $10,000 if something bad does happen.
1: As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. (laughs) Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the grand pleasure of having Jeremy
0: Goodrich with me today. Jeremy, how are things out in your neck of the woods? So good, Jerome. Thank you for having me. I mean, it's kind of a dreary, wet, cold, rainy day today, but I still went out for my my lunch walk and I got those steps in, so I'm feeling good. And uh, it'll be sunny tomorrow, I hope. What part of the country are you in, man? I'm in Southern Indiana. So uh, Bloomington, Indiana, about an hour south of Indianapolis.
1: For sure, man. And so this is going to be a different kind of show because typically we have operators. But I think the biggest thing that is challenging people in this space the space today is risk and managing that risk. And you do insurance, right? Right.
0: Yeah. I manage lots of operators' risk and have lots of stories of missteps. So I can talk through a lot of those. So, I mean, for
1: me, the thing that I always think about insurance is like, who's a low bidder, right? Because you got to pay for it, but do I really have to pay that much? And I'll tell you, I just went through quotes. I had $2,000 difference on a $10,000 policy. And I couldn't rationalize why basically the same deck page was giving me such different pricing. So there are a lot of people out there who are just trying to go to the lowest bidder, but I suspect that you don't believe that's the right way to do this, right?
0: No, there's two things you want from insurance. One is the lowest price, like you just described. And the other is the peace of mind that when something bad happens, it'll actually take care of you. And the problem is those two things don't often come together. So a lot of times the lowest price is missing a whole bunch of stuff, you know, and it's not going to take care of you in that scenario where you need it, whereas a price maybe a little bit higher would get that for you. I think that the bottom line is where's the best price? For the coverage that I actually want and I actually need, and I actually feel like will take care of me. So, you got to balance those two two things. And that's what I help folks do. Sometimes, you know, if two coverages are exactly the same and one's $2,000 cheaper than the other, okay, great. Awesome. Right? Like that is what you're looking for. But if there's some big caveat in there and you just don't realize it, then, you know, you don't end up very happy in claims and in stories like we're going to tell in this conversation.
1: Wow. Okay. So you're telling me that there's potentially things that operators won't know is different, but just because they're shopping the right price, they probably aren't covered in ways they think they are. Like, what's the best example you have of something like that?
0: All right. So I I had somebody come to me uh, last month named Tom, and uh, he was a client of mine, but his mother-in-law was an investor in multifamily and was not a client of mine. He asked me a bunch of questions. He said, Jeremy, do I have replacement cost coverage? Uh, Jeremy, do I have coverage for loss of income? He's asking me these questions. And I know enough about operators that I was like, these aren't normal questions where you're asking. And so, I said to Tom, I was like, what's going on, man? You know? And he said, well, my mom, my mother-in-law just had a claim. She had a fire." And it didn't like burn a whole building down or anything, but it affected one or two units really significantly. And she's finding out that she doesn't have replacement cost coverage and she doesn't have loss of income coverage. And so to make a long story short in the end, she had about $40,000 of expenses associated with that fire. And the policy paid out about $6,000. So if you whoa, think whoa, about whoa, that. Whoa, whoa.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Say the numbers again. <laughs> so she had about $40,000 of losses and the policy paid out about six 6,000. So she ended up with what is that? $34,000 of out-of-pocket costs. So, so how does that happen? Well, it's a combination of ACV coverage. So she had her building covered for like a million dollars, right? But she covered it for what she bought it for, not what it was the replacement cost of it. So it should have been covered for like $1.5 million. That's what it would have cost to replace the entire building. But she covered it for about uh, $1 million. So for about 60% of what she should have covered it for. When that claim happened, there was a co-insurance clause And I won't get too far in the weeds on you. I know I'm already in the weeds, so I apologize about that. But you know, when that claim happened, there was a co-insurance clause, and they said, "Well, you insured your entire building for sixty percent of what you should have insured it for, so we're going to pay out at sixty percent of what we should pay out for." So the forty thousand dollar claim then came down to like sixteen. My numbers aren't quite right here, but around sixteen thousand, and then she had a ten thousand dollar deductible, so. She it went down to about half and then the deductible took it down below. So it was about $6,000 in the end, uh, what she actually got paid out. And that was because she had not insured it for the amount she should have. And she also had ACV coverage. That was the other thing. So it was a depreciation issue. What Um, does
1: ACV stand for?
0: So think about your roof. We all have a lot of roofs, right? And if there's two different ways that a roof can be covered. One is replacement cost, which means they look at that roof and they say, you know what? That roof has a ton of hail damage and it's going to cost us $20,000 per building to replace that roof. So the insurance company is going to pay out $20,000 per building to replace that roof minus the deductible. That's what you would expect from your insurance company is for that to happen. That's replacement cost coverage. ACV is actual cash value. And what they do is they say, but well, that roof was 10 years old. That roof was 10 years old. And so, we're going to depreciate for the age of the roof and pay out instead of the $20,000 it would have cost. It's 10 years old. So, we're going to pay out $10,000. So, they remove depreciation from the payout of the claim. Now, you can't go out and get a 10-year-old roof to replace your existing 10-year-old roof. Like, that's just not possible, right? So, I mean, this concept came from auto insurance, right? If you've got a 2005 Subaru Outback, and that gets totaled, you you don't expect the insurance company to replace it with a 2021 Subaru Outback. That doesn't make sense. You would want them to pay out for the value of the car that you had, and that was an older car, so that makes sense. It makes sense on the auto side, but then you bring that same language and the same coverage over to property, and it doesn't make sense because I can't go get a 10-year-old roof and put it back on to replace my 10-year-old roof that's damaged with hail. I've got to put a new roof on. And so, I should get paid out for that. So, that's the difference between replacement cost coverage, which is paying the cost to actually replace the thing versus ACV coverage, which says, nah, we're going to depreciate the age of that thing and pull that off the top of the payout in your claim and not pay, you know, you're going to have to figure out the rest.
1: Whoa. So... Note to self,
0: don't get ACV coverage because I mean, you- yeah, don't get ACV in and the, and the way that people get burned on this. And, and my number one piece of advice to investors is you, you just can't think about insurance as insuring what you paid for a property, because that's where you end up with these ACV coverages with all the things that I said that are you know, going to burn you in a claim. You say, well, I only paid $50,000 for this. You know, I only want to insure it for 50,000. Well, it's a 2,200 square foot duplex, you know, and for us to replace it, that's going to cost at least $125 a square foot. So, we've got to insure it for $250,000 and you say, what? I paid $50,000 for it. Doesn't matter what you paid for it. Doesn't matter what market value is, you know. Uh, when it comes to insurance. Now, there are some exceptions to that, but in general, unless you really know what you're doing, you need to insure for what it would cost to replace that building so you don't end up like Tom's mother-in-law with $6,000 from the insurance company and $40,000 in fire damage. That just seems outrageous, right?
1: I mean, you pay them premiums, you expect them to pay. And I know Stephanie Saunders does some stuff where she like advocates on behalf of the property owners, but what if you're at that space, then something went really wrong. So uh, from your perspective as an agent, how are you making sure that people don't get to the place where they get the surprise at the end? Because, I mean, that's that's when you get upset and frustrated and feel taken advantage of and manipulated and all this stuff. But you you signed the paper. So how do, how do you guide them
0: and direct them? Well, it's interesting because I mean, it comes back to that cheapest price thing. I mean, there are a ton of agents out there and there are good people and bad people in every industry and insurance is no different. There's plenty of bad people and there's plenty of good people, but there are plenty of bad people out there who don't, who know these things that I just described to you and also know that if they set up policies with coverages, like I just described, they're going to be the cheapest option. And so they're going to throw out that cheapest option they're not going to you know, make a big deal about the things I described. So the way I deal with that is I just have to inside myself be like, you know what, for me to sleep at night, I want to set up policies that have the right coverage. And I'm going to do that for the best possible price I can do for all of the folks who are kind enough to bring their, their business to me. But if that's not the cheapest option, And they go with someone else, then, you know, I couldn't do anything about that. So, I think the the advice to operators is find an insurance agent you trust and, you know, ask some questions, make sure you understand some basic things. We have some tools on our website that can help you look at, you know, whether your coverage is right or not. But, you know, in the end, it has to do a lot with trust. And from my perspective, it just has to do with being willing to lose accounts because some other agent came in with some slimy deal that was too good to be true.
1: A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location for you as well as the generational wealth they desire for the family. The Myers Methods of Multifamily Investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode. So do you ask folks to let you review the other competitors just as a courtesy so that you can actually point it out to them, even if they go for the lower price, at least you get give them the option of, hey, well, you're giving up this, this, and this. I can also write it the same way, but I think you absolutely need it. Or you, you say, no, this is the coverage I need to write for you in order to feel comfortable, and if you want to go do something else then that's fine but i won't be willing to write buying policy for you
0: so we do something called a portfolio review for real estate investors where they send over their policies and we review it with a video without any like we're not quoting it we're not trying to get your business we're just reviewing it for you so i do a ton of that and that's exactly what you're talking about but i like to see the other agent stuff i like to be able to say exactly what you just said look if i placed coverage that was exactly like that agent's policy, I could do it for 10% cheaper than they're doing it. The thing is, I will not do that. And I cannot do that because of these reasons. In the end, I hope you never have to use your insurance um, and never have some big bad thing that happens. And and obviously, you hope that too. But if you do, I want to make sure that that experience that you have is what you think you will have and what you expect to have. So, um, I do refu- review other people's policies. I, I say eighty percent of real estate investors have policies with major problems like the ones I just described, and I know that because I look at all these policies and I'm like, "Geez, what? Like, who? Who's doing this? Who's putting this in place?" And uh, so that's certainly something that I experience. And I just, I just show investors what they have, and then they can decide and move from there.
1: So I guess the next question I'll ask is, what are investors paying for? in insurance that maybe they shouldn't be paying for because, you know, every dollar of insurance is straight off of NOI. There is nothing. So are there things that we get sold that maybe we shouldn't be paying for?
0: Uh, sometimes. I mean, I think that there's some argument around, uh, things like terrorism coverage. I think a lot of people opt out of that. So that's a pretty well-known one that people opt out of, but that could be thousands of dollars on a large policy that you're opting in on and maybe not realizing it. Equipment breakdown coverage is one that I don't think a ton of investors need. So this is a coverage where if you had a major system, Go down like HVAC or something like that, it would cover to put a temporary system in place until you could really replace that system with something else. Well, most multifamily investors have separate units for separate property or, you know, separate HVAC for each thing or whatever and can come in and get something replaced pretty quickly. If you own a a grocery store or a walmart or something like that yeah equipment breakdown makes a ton of sense if you own a multi-family apartment i'm not sure that's as valuable and that tends to be significant cost those would be things i would think about low deductibles is probably the other mistake i think a lot of investors make i mean if you have a thousand dollar deductible and you've got a hundred units there's probably not a lot of people doing that but using an extreme example like you're paying a lot of extra money for insurance and you don't want to make a $2,000 claim, like, go, you know, raise that up to a $10,000 deductible and, you know, really reduce your cost for insurance and just make sure that you've got extra capital set aside to deal with that $10,000 if something bad does happen.
1: And I think the last question that is like extremely valuable here, at least from my perspective is, all right, somebody's getting ready to buy a property. Some stuff has happened best practices get loss runs before you buy the property, but most people don't know what that is or why it's important or how it can impact the rate. So are you willing to go down that path a little bit and talk about the meaning of loss runs and why it's valuable?
0: Yeah, so loss runs are simply asking the existing insurance agent to send over the last five years of claims that have happened on that property. A lot of times the property is owned by someone who has multiple properties. So it may be the last five years of claims for that investor in general. So I see loss runs that have properties that we're not even talking about in them, just the way it is. So you get to see what claims have happened on that property. And that can affect the premium if there's been significant claims at the property uh, before you buy it. Right. So if there's been a bunch of stuff going on there, maybe a bunch of water damage, then the insurance company says, well, where's all this water damage coming from? Have you fixed those problems? Are we going to have the same problems? Stuff like that. Another thing insurance companies do sometimes is ask the investor for their loss runs to see how that investor's losses are who's buying the, the property. So, that could be true as well. So, loss runs are just like the history of claims associated with either the property or the investor who's coming into that property. And insurance companies use them to have a sense of whether the property has serious problems, whether, whether something's going on there, or whether the investor has a history of filing claims. Both of those could potentially affect the insurance premium on that, on that property. It's crazy.
1: As you were going through that, I came up with two more questions. So the first one is, is there anything that makes a property uninsurable?
0: So I'm insuring a property right now. Um, It is in um, Wyoming. It is uh, 150 units, 10 buildings, all three-story buildings. We've got aluminum wiring in the property, which is a part of it. We've got 40% vacancy across uh, the complex, which is another thing that has insurance companies saying no. And so, put all, oh, and it, yeah, fire hazard and potentially hail, things like that hazard. So, I would say that's one of the hardest to insure properties that I've come across. So, your question was is there anything that makes a property impossible to insure? Probably not. Is there anything that makes a property really, really expensive to insure? Well, yeah, the one I just described is a pretty good example. Like you got a bunch of vacancy, you've got wildfire hazard, you've got potential wind hazard, you've got uh, aluminum wiring, which is a huge one. Any properties built in the 1970s. If you've got aluminum wiring or some of those breaker boxes from the 1970s, I mean, you might as well just figure into your capital expense expenditure to replace that stuff because you're going to save that amount of money in your first two years of insurance premium. So I think that those are the big things. No, there's nothing that's impossible to insure, but there's a lot of factors that make insurance really, really expensive and can kill a deal. I mean, I see insurance kill deals. Uh, Not necessarily with my clients, because hopefully I'm telling them ahead of time before they're getting into due diligence or before they're sending that LOI, what's going on with it and what they can expect. But if somebody doesn't ask, somebody's deep into due diligence, and then suddenly the aluminum wire thing comes up and their insurance premium went from 50K to 150K, I mean, that's going to kill a deal. Yeah. And, you
1: know, people always ask me, well, how do I underwrite or how do I kind of guesstimate what my insurance costs are going to be. I said, you don't, you get a quote.
0: Yeah. You have a good relationship with an insurance agent who understands real estate investing. And yeah, I mean, you know, people text me all the time. They say, Hey, I've got this property. Here's the address. You know, what, what do you think? And I might ask them a couple more questions, vacancy, wiring, things like that. If, uh, if I see the years in the seventies or whatever, then I'll throw them a ballpark, you know? And if you have a relationship with somebody like that, I think it works out pretty well. Perfect. So Jeremy, if
1: folks want to get in touch with you and find out more about you guys and what you do at Shine Insurance, what's the best way to do that?
0: Yeah. So go to shineinsurance.com. If you want to take our quiz to see if whether you're one of the 80% of people that has those terrible (laughs) insurance policies, uh, you can go to shineinsurance.com slash REI. Um, Our YouTube channel is uh, pretty solid as well, but those are the places to find us. And we're out there on social media as well. Awesome.
1: Jeremy has a strong LinkedIn presence. If you're not following him, Really encourage you guys to do so until the next time. The pack is with you. We'll talk soon. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor give us a five star rating, give us a review, and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.